the Lord is so good. We just thank the Lord that um, we are able to meet together again in the house of the Lord. I know we've got a great concern, especially those um, who have been concerned about our, our country, our elections, our just a lot of things going on that are a little unsettling for us. And more and more, we need to settle ourselves in the Word of God. See, See, there's an established word that, thank God the devil can't change the Word of God. (laughs) Oh, he uh, he can't take parts out. He can't edit out things out of the Word of God. And so we're going to try and preach a whole word. A word that's going to bless and help. And as God gives us ability and, and he gives us opportunity, we're going to continue, regardless of what happens around us, we're going to continue to meet together as a body and to preach the word of God. So important, so important that in worship and praise and, and giving to the Lord, I mean... <clears throat> I'm not going to let what the devil's doing tear down the enthusiasm for what God's doing. God's doing a great thing. Rodney wrote that little song, God doing a new thing. He's always every day doing something fresh and new. Amen. It may be, it may be like the last thing, but it's, it's fresh and new and, and good. And uh, we want to keep in that word and, and just keep preaching that word and enjoying the fellowship of the brethren. What a blessing to be here today. Uh, I do want to thank all of you that made it possible for us to hold uh, a memorial Thursday night. Or Sophie's grandmother, it turned out so good. And I uh, appreciate all of you that brought things, food, and, and just helped and helped serve. And, and then ultimately helped clean. So we thank you for all of that. And uh, God bless you. Let us go to the book of John in the 12th chapter, if you would with us this morning, a couple of scriptures that I want to kick off a, um, I guess you just call it a series of messages, and we'll see how the Lord leads on it, but some Sundays ago, I mentioned a concept that the Lord had been working in my heart. And I'm going to try and start speaking about that. Mentioned it a few times. The gain of loss. The gain of loss. Now, the world says nothing ventured, nothing gained. That kind of might tie into this a little. But we're going to look in the Word of God for a few weeks. And there's a principle. It's been there, and we've called it by other names and, and, and preached it in other, you know, kind of other concepts. But this, this principle of the gain of loss, it's in the Scripture, and I never really just saw it just as strong as I had in... Um, And so we're going to preach on this for a little bit. If you go with me again to John, the 12th chapter, 24th verse. And I want to read these two verses and start from here, kind of work our way towards some things. And Jesus said, truly, truly, as a matter of fact, and when the Lord says, and this Greek word here is amen, amen. When the Lord says amen, I guess that would mean that it is absolutely right. But when he says, amen, amen, doubling down on it, he means it. Oh, yes. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless the grain of wheat that falls into the earth dies, it remains alone. 
But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Verse 25. And the one who loves his soul loses it. And the one who hates his soul in this world will keep it to everlasting life. Now, you're not going to hear these scriptures talked about in too many places. And the reason why is, is that it isn't something that we're going to shout about. It isn't something that we're going to get up and, and give gobs of money over. But it definitely is entrenched in the Word of God, and we're going to explore it out. I believe in the whole Word of God. Somebody say amen. amen. I don't want to dodge things. There are some things I don't understand in Scripture. There's some things that, you know, maybe I'm yet to be revealed to us. But those things which are obvious, we need to talk about, we need to preach about. And so we're going to go here this morning. Would you just bow your head? Lord, and we pray that every heart would be open to the entrance of God. I know sometimes babies may cry and people get up and things may you know, be distracting. But Lord, I pray that we'll rein it in because we need to hear and listen to your word. We need to hear. If you said truly, truly, if you said amen and amen about a matter, then I believe that that is so good for us and us to listen to and hear to. And Lord, I just pray this morning, God, that you'd open your word and you'd anoint it and bless it in Jesus' name we ask it. Amen and amen. I, I want to go to another verse. It's the book of Jude, the 25th verse. Only in the first chapter, there's just one chapter of Jude. Jude 25, it says this. To the only wise God our Savior, or Savior of us, glory, which is doxa, glory and majesty, megalosune, mega losune, majesty, strength, kratos, and authority, exousia. To the only wise God, Savior of us, glory and majesty, strength and authority, even now and into the ages, a man and not a woman. Of all the foolishness you've ever heard, just pure ignorance there. As we just talked about what a man is, truly I receive it, I believe it, amen. To the only wise God. Now let's talk about this for just a minute. The master craftsman of the universe, the archegon, a Greek word, archegon, it's more than just architect. An architect can plan it, draw it, put it down on paper, all the dimensions, all of, of how it's to be made foundationally and the walls and the weight carrying and all of those things, the data. That's the architect. But then you have the builder who takes the plan and takes all of the calcs off the plan, all of the dimensions that need to be adhered to, all of the sizes, footings, and, and beams, and posts, and, and all those things that the architect called out. And then he can build that building. But the word archegon is not just the architect, and it's not just the builder. It's the one who designed it. He, he put it into thought. He put it there, what we call the logos of God. And then he built it himself. He is the one who is responsible for heaven and earth. He is the one responsible for the creation of the universe. And this is the only wise God. If we take this text in, or this term in text inversion, I don't know if you know what text inversion is, 
But you find it all over the Scripture, especially if you read the Greek New Testament, and you'll see where they have inverted it. In other words, a sentence was laid out one way, and they inverted it to read just a little bit differently. Now, they do that in translation a lot. And one of the pet places, one of the pet peeves that I have in the first chapter of John, the first verse, and it says, and the Word was God. And it doesn't say that at all, but in the Greek it says, and God was the Word. But it's an inversion because of translation. If you took this verse and inverted it a little bit, what you would see is that God is only wise. He's not saying the only wise God like there's a bunch of dumb gods out there. There's only one God. But what it's saying about him is that he is the origin of wisdom. That everything about him is wise. Everything about him that's done. In other words, God didn't do anything. He hasn't done anything. He won't do anything that is not pre-purposed in his absolute wisdom. He does not shoot off the hip. He doesn't make things up. He's not just responding to things that are going on. God has a plan and a purpose. He put it together. He aligned it, and it came out of the wisdom of God, total wisdom. When you look at our creation, when you look at what's around us, you can believe one of several things. You can believe that things just happen that way, that 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 something collided in space and and particles gathered together, and they were cooled down, and finally life. I mean, it takes so much more faith to believe that than it does to believe that God, in the beginning, God created the heaven and earth. But out of his wisdom, he puts it together. And the thing about it is he did make no mistakes. Zero. God has never made a mistake. It's, it's beyond us. I mean... Uh, how, boy, you know, certainly he did. No, he never has done a thing wrong. He's never said a thing wrong. He's never thought to create a thing wrong. But in his perfect wisdom, he has done all things. Can you say amen? And in wisdom that makes our greatest scientist look mental retarded, Yahweh God created this universe with perfect design and for the regeneration of constant life. We think of creation on this term most of the time, the origins of life. We think about beginning, Genesis, the beginnings. We think about God creating something to begin with, and then it just kind of evolved from there. It took off from there. God got it started, and, and it took off. I don't believe that at all. I believe God designed it. He designed it not just for a day. He designed it not for a week. He designed it to go on perpetually until he would put a stop to that. God made sustainable life. Life that would go on and on and on. God prepared earth for the long haul. Certain rules and boundaries and orders that he put in place. And for the reproduction of life, God set it in order. I'll tell you what is so beautiful. I mean, we can go back as far as we can in history, and what we'll find is we're no different than they are, or they were. We're no different. Uh, the plants, the animal kingdoms, they are no different. I do not believe in the, in the falsity of evolution. I don't believe God put things out there and they evolved. I believe God created them with purpose and defined them and kept them as they were. A dog has always been a dog. A cat has always been a cat. A cat will never turn into an ocean living uh, organism. It always will be what God designed it to be. Never will a whale come out and live on dry ground because God didn't design it that way. In his wisdom, he put all things together and there is no, there is no fault in it whatsoever. Can the church say amen? At the end of the flood, 
when Noah and his sons, I believe, I think it's the ninth chapter of Genesis, that, that God reinstalled, and I like this because he made it in the beginning, but yet now the earth was flooded. And after the water recedes, God says a thing to Noah. And this is beautiful. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. I don't care what our scientists say. God has already spoken. They said, well, do you believe in, 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 in man-made global warming? It's scientifically proven. Yes, it's scientifically proven, all right, by a political-driven agenda to try and produce something that, that can, again, can dominate and, and, and government can rule over things that ridiculously aren't happening. I remember when I was a kid, and I don't know if, if, how many of you can remember back this far, but I remember when I was a kid, they were worried about the earth icing over. I remember that in school, you know, and they're, they're like, we might fall into an ice age, and everybody, what are we going to do? Well, I know what you do. Turn on all your hair dryers and point them out and, and warm up the atmosphere. Start your cars and turn on the heaters. And it just simply was a notion that scientists had come up with with no proof. And now upon us is global warming. And before they begin to censor news, watch this now. Before they begin to censor out things, I read some reports that said, since we have recorded the time of, of, oh, it must have been way back in early in the 19th century, they began to record the temperature of the earth, that guess what? It has gone up and down and up and down, and nothing really has substantially changed. Because the reason why is you either believe in God or you believe what the scientist says. And God said that there is going to be seed time and harvest. There is going to be summer and there's going to be winter. And there is a definition there between summer and winter. Cold and hot. Day and night. Thank you, Lord. As long as the earth will be, as long as the earth Remains. Now, I'm going to take some hope and some solace in that, that the Creator is not going to let it spin out of control as long as it remains. That the Creator is still watching over His creation and that He set it in order in all wisdom. He knew what to do. He set it in order so that life would continue on planet Earth. Can everybody say amen? And I don't believe there's a thing we can do about it. I mean, I, I don't like the idea of polluting. I don't like the idea of you know, corrupting something that, that God has made. No. And, and I think we should do our best to try and maybe, you know, do, do the things that, that may stop our polluting our waterways and all that stuff. And I'm for that. But I do know this, that God set the thing in order and God put it in in wisdom and it will remain until he's done, until the time that he says, hey, I'm done, and the earth is going to cease. And until that day, I take this confidence that God has set some things in order. Now, I said all that to get to seed time and harvest. The scriptures that we read in John, and the Lord talks about a seed, and he knows about seed, and he knows about if it falls into the ground. A seed time and harvest it's a term that if you haven't heard it, it's a term used by televangelists a lot. Let me tell you what it means to them. What it means to them is it's time for you to plant seed in my ministry. Bring on the money. And you're, we're, we're going we're gonna to promise you 
a harvest. And so you plant it in good soil, and you're going to get a harvest. The problem is it's not good soil. Don't waste your money there. Seed time and harvest doing everything they can to talk you into supporting them and their extravagant life. And this tool is just, it's a phrase, it's a coin that all of them use it. They just believe that somehow if you give to them, that, that God is going to give back to you. But the problem is, I talked to one man, he said, I've been doing that. I said, how's it working for you? He said, well, it's been a couple of years and nothing's happened. I said, then quit. That's not the word of God. A seed dies in the earth before it brings life. Seed time is the time of sowing. Seed time is when when the earth is right and it is plowed up, it's prepared and it's ready and then the sower puts the seed in the earth and then the earth closes around that and those little tiny seeds, they are enveloped in almost like we would think of the womb and the seed in a womb. It's all the same idea. It's how God structured it, caused it to be. But, it, but Jesus uses this word, and I thought this was interesting. He uses this word, unless, unless it falls in the earth and dies. But the Greek word here is apothenesco, which is not just as thenesco is to die, but apothenesco is, it means a little more than that. It means to die off from what it was. That little seed has still got life in it. It's laying in that womb, but there is life inside that little seed. Jesus talked about seeds. I talked about a mustard seed. Remember the mustard seed? the smallest of the herbs, and yet that little tiny, dry, little seed put properly in the ground and then moisture, something happens to that seed. And, and it, it's, it's a dying off from what it was. This word stresses the ending of what was former to bring what naturally follows. And so the seed going in the ground isn't the end. The seed going in the ground is a beginning. The seed must lose what it had to gain what it didn't have. It remains alone otherwise. Everything that God has planned in the scripture is a gain of loss. The whole of creation acts the purpose of God. It carries out the purpose of God. It's a gain through loss. One thing dies, another sprouts up. One thing is gone, another comes up. Something is lost, something comes up and gains in its place. Everything aligns to this. Plants, animals, humanity. Jesus said in verse 25, the one loving his soul loses it. Philo, you've got a lot of affection for your soul. You know what the soul is. And Pastor Rodney touched on some of these things the other night. The soul is, is that inner emotions in, and it's the feelings that we have. And the one loving his soul loses it. The one hating, the one hating his soul in this world will keep it into eternal life. Do you think Jesus knew what he was talking about? He uses this this Greek word, meseo, it's to detest on a comparative basis. And a comparison is, do I love this life more than what God has for me to love his life? And so the word hate here is used, it's also used when we talk about somebody comes to the Lord and hates not his mother and father and brothers, and, and it's in a comparison sense. If I love them more, then I'm going to go that direction. If I love my life more than I love the life that Christ offers me, then I'm going to go after my life 
and I'm going to lose it. But if I see Christ's life as being more favorable, more important, more valuable to me than my own life, then I'm going to gain his life, and also with that, I gain eternal life. You can't gain heavenly, spiritual, eternal things by believing that Jesus exists, that he is a Lord or even by calling his name, saying that you're a part of what he's doing, like the Lord, Lord people. But this gospel has illegitimately been propagated as the truth. Unconditional love, unmerited favor, unlimited blessings and goodies that pour out of heaven daily upon us. And that thing has been introduced to the church and it's nothing new. It comes from old. It's the same old doctrines and things that messed up the church many centuries ago. But it is not the truth of the gospel that there is nothing to gain in heavenly matters and spiritual matters. That, that there's nothing to gain without a loss in your life. And I believe that this study is going to show us that in the scripture it continually talks to us about losing something to gain something. In other words, gain is not without loss. Now, I've got to talk about something that, that Pastor Rodney beat me to, and he talked about it a little bit. He just touched on it the other night, and I want to touch on it again. The Scripture is full of conditional clauses, completely full. And so I looked up, I did this study, and to, just to find out that there was one if. You know, if is a conditional clause. There was one if. For every page of the Old Testament, every single page, there was enough ifs in the Old Testament for every, one, every single page. Then I got to the New Testament. You know, we're in, now we're in unconditional love. Now we are in unmerited favor. We've got, now we're in a different era. Yeah, thank God we are, you know. We got out of those ifs, yeah. We got out of one per page to two per page and over two conditional clauses for each page of the New Testament Bible. Over 662 ifs in the New Testament. That gospel is so turned away from. That gospel is so put down. This is the reason why we do hate Calvinism, which, which uh, Pastor Ronnie touched on the other night, because Calvinism, it removes all the conditions out of Christianity. I don't want a Christianity that doesn't have any conditions to it. Though it may be hard on me, though, though I may have to lose some things, I don't want a Christianity that cost me nothing. I can't put my heart behind a Christianity that I'm not invested in. I can't, I can't put any long-term endurance towards that because, because it just comes and goes, and that's the way it's treated because, hey, if God loves you no matter what you do, then just keep doing what you're doing. It doesn't matter. God loves you anyway. You've got this unconditional stuff going on in your life. You've got grace that just unmerited. God's just pouring his grace. He's pouring his love. And if that's the case, there are no conditions in what we do. You don't need to serve him. You don't need to pray. You don't need to show up on Sunday morning. You don't need to do nothing because you've already got it all. And this is the condition that Calvin leaves us in. It's no condition at all. But I believe that God's word teaches us something different. In this verse that we read, the first word, unless, unless, unless the grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, unless is the exact reference to an if. It's a ian may in Greek, if not. In other words, if not, if it doesn't happen that a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it will not produce fruit. Now, I'm going to say something that you can just register. Uh, maybe write it down, think about it. When a condition is not met, 
the promise is void. And if there are 662 conditional clauses in the New Testament and they are not met, the promise that is attached to it is void. In other words, we do contracting and so we we write up contracts and the contract will say, we'll do X amount of work and we'll supply this amount of materials and uh, the owner is going to be responsible for this and that and for payment and then drop the final amount and how much you're going to charge to do the job. And now we've got something to do and they've got something to do. If we fail to complete our side of the contract, it makes it void on their side. They have to do nothing. Well, but I worked and they've got to pay me. No, well, you didn't do it according to the contract. They can hold the money back, go to the contractor's board and whatever, and you didn't, they can, they can, they can hold your money. It makes the other side of the contract void. And so the condition is for us to get the money, which we are trying to do, which we're trying to earn a living, we have certain responsibilities that must take place. And if we don't fulfill those, we don't get paid. So we're very careful about that. We want to do it exactly the way the customer wants it, just according to our contract. And I don't know why we look at the Bible and say the Bible is just, you know, just pitch pods. You just do part of it and part of it you don't have to. And the things you like, deal with those. The things you don't like, don't deal with them. Everything's going to be good. God's just going to cover it all. No, grace is going to cover it. I don't know why we look at this contract. Do you know what a testament is it is the contract of God he has left us a new testament and the new testament says if you will do then I will do but you're going to lose some things in order to gain some things let me tell you right now we're going to lose some things in a contract in order to gain some things we're going to lose time and effort and sweat and toil and worry about getting that job done right and complete it and clean it up, get it done, and then we get paid. We're going to lose some things to get what we're after. You're not going to gain it without losing. You're going to lose the time. You're going to lose the effort to do that. And so when the condition is not met, the promises are void. Well, I'm going to go get me a, a precious promise, a little promise uh, book, and, and I'm just going to pull something out every day, and it's the precious promise that God's going to do. If you didn't make your side of that condition, forget the promise. I mean, it's a little bit tough preaching this morning because I don't know, Pastor. You know, love, we've got a loving God here. We've got a loving God that's going to hold you to your side of the commitment of serving Jesus Christ. To expect gain without loss is self-deception. You might think you can lay on the couch and the money come rolling in, but you're only fooling yourself. Go out to the mailbox, get up off the couch enough to go out to the mailbox and check and see if the checks came in. You're probably not going to get any of those. It's just self-deceiving. And to think that you can sit on the couch of Christianity and the stuff's just going to come pouring in. I've got bad news for you. Go check the mailbox. You're going to find out that you're not getting the checks. Well, that's a, this is, here we go. This, this again is a works gospel. And I don't look at it so much as works. I look at it as a response. It's a response on our part. It is a responsibility on our part. And that's why I feel like that you're going to have to be invested in the kingdom of God. You're going to have to sell out in order to be in the kingdom of God. You don't, you don't just join up one day and, and ride, the, ride the ride, the merry-go ride, and, and soon as soon as the, uh, you feel like it, you get off, and then you get back on later, and, and you know, I'm serving the Lord. No, I believe there is a commitment from the time you come to Jesus. There's a commitment that's way more more than marriage commitment and the marriage commitment says I take this woman I take this man to be my lawful wedded spouse until the day I die listen there shouldn't be anything less with serving Jesus it should be I take him as Lord until the very last breath that I draw in this body maybe 
Maybe I may make a blunder or two in my life. Maybe I don't fulfill some things, but God being my helper, don't laugh at me, devil, when I'm down because I will arise. I will serve my God. It's in my heart. I'm going to do it. And with that attitude, with that attitude, we are not deceived as per the responsibilities that are laid upon us. Why would we be called servants? Servants of the Lord. If you ever start going through the epistles and just look at the opening phrases of the epistles, Paul, a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. The other brethren, right? Servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. What is a servant? He's the one with obligation. Come on, amen. Obligation to fulfill the will, the desire of the master. And all I'm looking for, and I hope this is all you're looking for, when I pass from this life, just that one single promise, I just want to hear one thing. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Because I know that's what we are. We're just servants before the Lord. We're not here to run Him. We've done that too long. I just heard again the other day, I almost won't watch any religious stuff on TV. It's just so far out there. I heard again, God can't do anything until we lose Him to do it. I'm just like, who's God here? You know, the inmates are running the asylum, right? We're telling God what he can do. Well, really, it should be the total reverse of that. I mean, we should be just absolutely, God, I know that your way is the right way, and that's what I'm going to follow. And so I've got this prophetic word, and uh, it's for the church for 2021. And boy, I haven't done this before, I don't think. So I've got this word. Now, what I'm going to say, and and I don't want to make fun, but I talked to Kay about this, and she got a little irritated with it, but... I I talked to her about it, and I said, look, if we're going to act like Old Testament prophets, then what we do is we come to the pulpit, and we we start saying phrases like, thus saith the Lord God of hosts, thus saith Jehovah Rapha, thus saith God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, or I can just come to you and say, and the Spirit of the Lord says... But it's much better if I slip back in the Old Testament and use some really big quotes because everybody's going, oh, wow, this is the big God talking now. So I'm going to talk to you about a prophetic word in, in, uh, that I believe for 2021. And I'm just going to say the Lord has placed this on my heart. Is that okay? And by the way, there's a lot of prophets out there that have said something this past year about elections and things that they need to, they've come across with the thus saith the Lord stuff, they need to be judged on it. Can the church say amen? Amen. Get ready, get ready, get ready. It's not, that's not what I'm doing. Get ready, get ready, get ready for overflow and increase and pleasure is on the way to you in 2021. No, no, I'm, I'm not. Get ready, get ready. You're about to get your neighbor's wealth. <laughs> that guy has worked all his life. He's been in that house for 30 years. He finally got it paid off. And now God is revealing to the prophets of this day that you're going to get his house. The wealth of the wicked are coming. You know, the wealth of the wicked's going to be put into your bank account. And, and now that hard-earned money that that guy sweat over, that's going to be yours. Thank God. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that wonderful? And people just shout, yes, glory. I can sit on the couch and get wealth. <laughs> get ready, get ready. Your children are coming back this year. Just heard it. Let me tell you something about the children. 
They're not coming back because I prayed for them. They're coming back if they get a right heart before God. Hey, they're coming back, man. They're coming out of all places all over the country, out of in, being in, uh, in prison and being other places and wherever, and they're all coming back. Everybody's shouting, yeah, God is going to do a great thing in 2021. And finally, get ready, get ready. Your spouse is finally going to treat you right. Everybody's just shouting. I mean, the applause is just deafening. Thus saith, you know, they're using the Lord of hosts and you're going to get everything you deserve this year. Preaching spiritual entitlement. Let me tell you about spiritual entitlement for just a second. You're entitled to zero. I, I get a kick out of the commercials now because they'll run a commercial and say, get what you deserve. Let me tell you what you deserve. Nothing. Why do you deserve anything? It's the good favor of God that he's given us anything. We don't deserve it. Can you say amen? Man, I'm entitled to it. Bless God, you know. I'm a creation of God. I'm an American, and I am entitled. We've taught entitlement in our country, and especially in California. If you're not getting enough entitlement out there, Come to California. We'll give you everything you always wanted and, and more. And everybody's learned about entitlement. So they brought it into their spiritual life so that I'm entitled to things. I don't have to do anything. There's no responsibility on my part. I am entitled. This is not the gospel. No, no, no. We've already heard too many verses of this old tired song. And I'm not going to listen to Rob Parsley get up again and say the same thing about 21 that he said about 20 and 19 and 18 and go back as far as you can. And I'm not going to listen to Benny Hinn anymore prophesy about what God is going to do for you in 2021 because I believe God does have something planned for his church this year. But I do not believe that it's all the blessing stuff that's been propagated. I do believe rather... Get ready, get ready, get ready to lose. President Trump said, we're going to win so much that we're going to get tired of it. Evidently, the, the country got tired. <laughs> we're going to win and win and win, and it sounds good, but I've got another sermon for you this morning. God's got something better for you than winning and winning, and that's called losing. Because there's some things about your life you're never going to win over unless you lose some stuff in your life. You will never gain the things that need to happen in your life. And you're not going to gain without a loss in your life. And I hate loss. I don't like it. I've been broke before, and I don't like being broke. I've had people upset me before, and I don't like it. I've had stuff go wrong for me before, and I don't like it. I don't like to lose. I like to win. But i got to thus say it the Lord for you for 2021 for this church. Now, hear me out. Don't get ready to win. Don't get ready to gain. Get ready to lose. Because you're not going to get to the gain until you lose. Somebody say amen. That's a strong word. That's wow. But you know what? I don't have to stand behind that. The word of God stands behind it. The scripture we read this morning stands behind it. It goes something like this. If you're going to have a good testimony and you're going to gain this good testimony with others, you're going to lose some things in your life. You're going to lose some stuff you've hold, held on to. There's going to be some stuff that you're going to have to let go that has been so close to you, like bad 
bad habits in your life and bad behavior in your life. Well, pastor, you know, that doesn't happen in the church world. Yes, it does happen. There is bad behavior going on in the people of God that just they need to lose it. Boy, I didn't get too much of a shout right there. There's some bad habits going on in some of our lives, things that we're entrenched in, things we've always done it that way. That's the way we do stuff. People are just going to have to get used to me because that's the way I am. I have my behavioral issues, and that's who I am. And the world looks at us, and they say there is no difference between them and us. Would they get mad just like we do? They scream and yell just like we do. They cause problems just like we do. And what I'm saying this morning, if you're ever going to get to the place where you get over that stuff, you're going to have to lose it in the name of Jesus this year. Lose it out of your life. Let it go. Lose it out of your life in order for you to gain a good testimony around the people that you know and people that you love. If you're ever going to have a sweet spirit. I've met some people that you get done talking to me and say, they are so nice. And, and, and I make it some because not everybody's that way, right? And we're all brothers here and sisters here. We know. We. But I've left the presence of people. We just did that the other day. And I'm not going to say who it was because I don't remember. But I looked over at Kay and said, they are so nice. They didn't get there on accident. They just got lucky, you know. They're just one of the nice ones, no? That's open for all of us. But the problem is, we're going to have to lose the attitude to get there. Shout now, come on. And the Lord wants us to have that joyful, peaceful demeanor in our life, that, that helping, loving, kind, be, be kind-hearted to one another, loving one another, caring for one another. And we know that it's there, but I just can't do it because I've got this attitude that stops me. And what I'm telling you, this year, God's got something for you. Lose the attitude, and the sweetness of God is going to begin to fill the void in your life. You can't gain sweet and put it on top of bitter. you got to lose the bitter out of your life in order to get the sweet. Somebody say amen, right? I'm preaching right now, and I'm meddling. I'm stepping on some of our toes right now. Some of us are going to have to lose the false hopes of personal gain and grandeur. We've so bought into the American dream. I, I hate to tell you, but the American dream is in jeopardy of going away. But we brought the American dream over into the church. And God's just going to do great things and make me a great person and I'm going to just be this and that and the other. I've got all these ideas of personal grandeur and you'll never do the kingdom of God any good at all. And you're not going to do the kingdom of God any good until you lose that idea that my identity doesn't really mean anything in the church. That who I am and what I think really doesn't, my opinion doesn't matter. Really what matters in this house is what God is got to say really the kingdom growth of this house isn't about me it's not about this preacher it's not about this family it's not about you all it's about the kingdom of God and how he's going to produce it and grow it he said I will build me my church and we're not going to be able to stop him so in order to be kingdom good we're going to have to get rid of the idea of personal promotion how are we preaching now? Everything okay? I got a lot of people looking at me like, huh? I didn't know that. <laughs> Until we understand what John the Baptist said, I must. How do you think that felt for him? He's the prophet of his time. All Jerusalem and Judea 
are coming out to hear him. But he understands the thing that in order for Christ to be greater, I've got to decrease. In order for the kingdom to go on greater, I have to decrease. Somebody say amen. So in order to gain in this kingdom, I've got to lose this whole personal promotion and identity of myself. I've got to lose the self-centeredness. Somehow this year, 2021, I've got to lose my selfishness and self-centeredness. One of the hardest things for all of us, we're all born with mechanism in us that says take care of yourself first. Get your stuff first. We're just born with that. I was working on a, on a parsonage, and we had a whole group of men. We went to a restaurant, and this is just as comical. This is how we are. And we all sat down to eat, and we ate, and then we were going to get dessert, and we ordered a certain kind of pie. I remember it was coconut cream or whatever, and, and everybody said, yeah, I want that too, you know, and we all, every one of us wanted the same thing. And uh, she came back to the table, and she said that we only have one uh, piece of pie left. And one brother spoke up and said, that's all I want. <laughs> that's, that's how we are. Let everybody else eat cornbread, whatever. I don't care what they're doing. As long as I have it my way and what I want. And what I'm telling you about this year, there's hope for us. And the hope is, is that we turn loose of the selfishness. And if we turn loose of the selfishness, we'll gain what it is to be a giver. We'll gain what it is to be a blesser. We'll gain what it is to be a servant to others. God, help us in this year to turn loose of some things so we can gain some things in our life. I've got some stuff that needs to be gained in my life, but I'm not going to get there doing the same thing I'm doing. Well, if I can get in another prayer line and get somebody to get a, you know, anoint me again, that's, a, that's what I need right there. My mother-in-law, Sabra, her fix for all the Christian people, and I love her, she just, they need to pray through to the speaking in tongues. And when they get there, they need to start tuning her loose of some stuff. Come on. Because the Spirit of God, and I said this last week, the Spirit of God wants to dwell in us richly. The Spirit of God wants to be filled and full in our life, but, but you're not going to gain anything without a loss in your life. But I don't like loss, but get ready, get ready, get ready. God is going to cause some glorious loss in your life this year if you're ready for it. God can change your life this year, but I've been this way and I've tried to get over it and I can't get over it. But what I'm telling you this morning, there's hope and the hope isn't another prayer line. The hope isn't another just fast a day. The hope is that you're gonna turn loose of some stuff because God is gonna give you glorious gain in your life. And I'm not talking about money right now. I'm talking about spiritual things that need to be in your life and developed in your life and growing in your life. Wow. I've got to close. And if I don't, I'm going to lose some of the people. So, John, the 12th chapter and 25th verse that we read, let me, let's just read it real quick again. The one who loves his soul loses it. And he who hates his soul in this world will keep it to everlasting life. Now, you know that when you look for statements in one gospel and find them in another, that they're not always just exactly said the same. And so this rendering is found many, many times in the New Testament. But I thought one of the best Simplest rendering was Matthew, the 10th chapter and 39th verse. Jesus made it so clear. It's the same statement, but listen to this. 
The one finding his soul shall lose it. The one losing his soul for my sake shall find it. Let's do not forget this is all about the Lord. And I can try and turn over a new leaf and I can do some things differently. And I can just try and reform some stuff. And that's all good. And say this year, you know, I'm going to do things different this year. I'm going to, you know. But until I'm willing to turn loose, it's going to be the same in my life. Most of the time at the first of the year when we're making resolutions, we're just taking a vacation. That's all. We're coming back. We're just going, you know, to see the lake and the river and stuff. We're coming back. We come right back to where we were, right exactly back to where we were. Because it's not good enough. You didn't let go of it. It's not a resolution that we need. It's a loss out of our life that we need. Somebody say amen. I need to lose some stuff. Have you ever heard somebody say, hey, lose the attitude? I need to lose some stuff in my life. So we go to the verse that says, I has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for them that love him. Yeah, man, I'll tell you, I'm thinking about mansions of gold now. Wow, he's prepared. No, get, get out of there. Lose that. Your life this year can take a leap forward in Christ, and it's a beautiful. I'm not saying that anybody doesn't love the Lord. That, that's not my point here. My point is, as Christian people, there's some stuff we need to lose. And that stuff we lose, we're going to gain. We're going to gain. We're going to gain. We're going to gain his knowledge. We're going to gain his life. We're going to be more victorious over this flesh and over this life. And, and we're going to walk in a way that seems like, you know, sometimes we struggle. And, and let me, let me just, just minister to you right now. If you're struggling in your Christian walk, and, and there are those that do. I know I have people coming and say, Pastor, I just need your help. I need your prayer. Would you, would you pray? Man, times we struggle and we struggle in our Christian walk. Let me just tell you this. Search your heart to see if there's some stuff that you need to lose out of there in order for this life to go a little bit better walking in Jesus Christ. If you've got trouble walking for Him, if it's just hard for you to live this life, then I'm going to say you lose some stuff and you're going to gain the victory in your life. You're going to gain, you're going to be a victorious Christian liver. Can you say amen this morning? And so starting today, I want to be open enough that when God speaks into my spirit and says, you need to lose that, I'm going to say, okay, Lord. Brother Aaron tells of a story just a couple of of, uh, Wednesday nights ago. He just said he was serving the Lord, and, and God just told him a thing that was in his heart. Just told him a thing. He wasn't ready before, but when God told him, he got ready, and he said he acted on the word of God, and he gained victory. That's the way it works. I said, man, there's nothing wrong with me. I don't know what's wrong with these other people. You know, bless God. Everyone's wrong but me. And all the time, God would say, hey, listen, listen here, listen here. There's some stuff. That, can we get so petty? Wow. Let me, let me just mill around for a minute, okay? We get so petty. Some folks are just going to have to toughen up. If I can offend you this morning, if I can make you feel bad, listen, the devil is going to have somebody come by every time. But if you let go of it and say, no, I'm not living there no more. I'm letting go of that, and I am gaining confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
I'm going to live for him. And somebody come by, it doesn't matter anymore. I don't like you. Well, get in line. You know, it's okay. I'm, I'm all right. Because I know what I'm doing. Can you say amen? And, and somebody cause you trouble. Somebody, somebody trip you up purposely. Things go wrong. You lose a job. Oh, just attitude. Man, I'm down in the dumps. Everything's going wrong. God's forsaken me. No, 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 no. We'll lose all that. Say, God, you're my provider. God, you're my helper. Jesus, I'm trusting you, and I'm living for you every single day of my life. That's what I am about this year. Can you say amen? Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise.